So just wrapped up another really fun conversation uh, with Bill Peroni. Uh, Bill is the CEO of Accord. Yes, the company that makes Accord forms, but also does a lot more. They are the essentially the data model for the insurance industry. And Bill, you know, Bill's the second guest in a row who talked about culture as a critical part of the company and the organization and part of what makes them enlightened. So if you're interested in any of that, have a listen. Here it is. Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Enlightened Agent, a podcast that brings you conversations with top insurance professionals and industry leaders. My name is Jason Keck, and I'm joined today by Bill Peroni, CEO of Accord. Bill, welcome to The Enlightened Agent. Jason, thank you for hosting me today, and thank you for the podcast. My pleasure. You know, to kick things off, Bill, I mentioned earlier, I've been following you and Accord since I entered the industry. A little over four years ago now, but our listeners may not know you or who you are. So if you wouldn't mind, could you let everybody know who is Bill Peroni and, and what do you do today? Sure. Thanks, Jason. I'm Bill Peroni, President and CEO of Accord. I've been here five years. Accord is celebrating its 50th anniversary. What struck me this year is that in its 50th year, I think Accord is more relevant than it's ever been. And it's... Um, it's a unique situation to be in that organizations increase in relevance over time, but um, it's a, my pleasure to come and join Accord and to become the CEO. Prior to this, I was the Chief Operating Officer at Marsh. I had senior operating roles at State Farm, partner at Accenture, head of insurance at IBM, 30-year career in insurance. I can honestly tell you, Jason, I did not mean to pick insurance, but I feel very fortunate to have come into the insurance industry. I've never worked in any other industry. Again, I didn't mean it. I'm a bit envious of people who knew they wanted to be in the insurance industry and started early. They tend to be actuarial students and things like that, or people who had family members in the insurance industry. But I did not mean to do it, but I feel incredibly fortunate and privileged to serve our industry, and in particular, the agents um, yeah, who this I, podcast is directed towards. I feel the same way. I stumbled into the industry, never expected to be here, but feel very fortunate to be here as well. I think I think people who land here realize it's it's a fascinating place, interesting problems to solve, real true value for the people you're serving and, you know, just a thriving thri- you know, a thriving ecosystem, right? Insurance is a trillion dollar industry in the US and, you know, it's it's there's a lot of opportunity here. So you mentioned a little bit of your history, your professional history. Uh, you were the global COO of one of the largest agencies in the world, right? So I'm curious why you left Marsh five years ago to become the CEO of Cord. What was the inspiration? Well, I had been involved with the Cord for decades. And the previous CEO, Greg Maziag, was really a statesman in the industry and did tremendous things on behalf and for the industry. And he was beyond uh, what he would like to have uh, continued to work. So he was saying he wanted to give give the role up. And um, and I said, can you last a little longer? And he says, Bill, yeah, I spend time with my family and my grandchildren. And so I said, okay, fine, right? I guess I would have liked a bit more time in the industry and particularly at Marsh, which is a great organization, but it was really a matter of opportunity. Greg was uh, one of only a handful of CEOs that Accord has had since its start. So the roles don't, come up very often. So if I really didn't accept the role then, I might have missed it right? Right. because um, you know they tend to be long tenured because you're, it's a very important role and, and one where you can have a great deal of impact. 
and relevance um, for the industry on a global basis. So that's what drew me to it. And it really, again, was I don't want to sound like I'm waiting for luck to occur because we in the insurance industry don't like luck and don't like risk. But I was fortunate, again, that the timing worked out. Yeah, I mean, Marsh has a global reach, but a limited client base, right? Obviously, Marsh has competitors and you can't have every client out there. I got to imagine Accord touches almost every insurance opportunity or yeah jason the scale of accord thirty-six thousand members across 100 countries 1200 standardized transaction types 90 percent of the world's addressable market for what we do (laughs) so quarter you know they tend to be domestic business that occurs in other countries where there are localized standards. So there might be a personal lines business in one country where there's an association who's been in existence for a similar time frame accord. But by and large, for the vast majority of premiums in the PNC and life space, it's accord standards and annually order over a quarter of a billion transactions supported and enabled by thousands of core policy admin systems. So you know, it's a great privilege um, I, to, I to have that know, kind of scale and scope. I love that you know where the missing 10% is. That's pretty Oh, I know exactly what countries there. <laughs> I know, Jason, I know. And by the way, I know where they're at. I know who's doing it. But, you know, they're having impact and they're making a difference and they're very localized and customized. And that's okay. I visit them every once in a while. <laughs> are they tired? Do they want to just give up? So I know I know who they are, uh, who the organizations are and the uh, many of the leaders. Good. You mentioned early on that you came into the company and, you know, 50 years in, it's it's becoming more relevant. Curious if you could expand on that a little bit, because I think, you know, the, the Accord brand has been around for a while. People expect, you know, people want it to be better. And clearly it sounds like it is getting better. Tell us more. So, you know, I'm, I'm a student of the industry. I love the insurance industry. I love the history of how we started literally thousands of years ago and the concept of bottomry which is uh, ensuring sea-going vessels uh, prior to Roman times as an industry. But Accord started 50 years ago, and the challenge was every individual carrier had the equivalent of a desktop sitting on an agent's desk for their apply, quote, buying type of technology. So you can imagine, quote, unquote, dumb terminals, and they, they really were running out of real estate on the desktop of an agent. And the idea behind it was to support the independent agents by developing a consistent set of standards to help with that apply quote buying process and then post buying servicing. And uh, it was a number of very large independent agency based carriers who came together to form that. And then since that time, obviously adding more detailed uh, data standards, I believe the last time I looked, we had 400,000 defined data elements around insurance companies. So everything you can imagine has been defined and has labels and specifications and standards and dictionaries around it. And technology's impact on the industry and opportunity for leverage has grown steadily. And when you look to some of the newer technologies, mobile and uh, clearly internet and even distributed ledger technologies and application program interfaces from what started as um, SOAP to RESTful APIs today, increasingly the insurance industry has a number of stakeholders, right? There's carriers and primary reinsurers and brokers and agents, regulators, vendors, and all the rest. Increasingly, they understand the value of technology, but they also understand the fact that it's much better to compete based on 
relationships, brand, balance sheet, experience, all of those capabilities, not on the uniqueness of the data standard that you're using within your application or how you communicate to other stakeholders. And I think understanding the fundamental basis, regardless of who you are on a stakeholder, even if you're a software vendor, let it not be by your logical and physical data model, but let it be by the features and functionality, the service levels or the solutions that you're providing yeah. to brokers and agents and carriers and reinsurers and all the other stakeholders. So now I think gotten to the point where the industry understands the future inevitability of technology and what it can do, right? We do an annual digital study where we rank carriers from digital laggards to digital competitors. And increasingly, right, we're finding much fewer laggards behind because either they're being bought or they're being deselected from the gene pool. They're investing in technology. And there's what I've seen in the last five years, much stronger pull demand for the solutions and the member. For an organization as old as we are, since coming to Accord five years ago, we've added thousands of new members. And not just because they're new startups, but many of these organizations were, some of them were centuries old. We really looked at some of the London-based carriers, but we're uh, continuing to grow annually, thousands of members. That's so important. that helps me and encourages all of us at Accord to understand that, again, it's increasing levels of relevance. Yeah. We're not struggling for membership, right? We're literally adding thousands a year. Yeah, I love what you said about the you know, differentiating your services, not the data model, but through your offering, right? And, you know, we talk about that in our space where we want agents to be, we want to get, stop doing the repetitive tasks and start being more advisory, right? And in a similar way, you know, we, we don't necessarily want to think about the data model. If there's a standard for that, then, you know, let's use the standard and let's, let's build features and functionality around that. You know, again, when I first sort of came into the space, people talked about Accord forms, right? As you know, that's what people think about often because that's what they use. Um, but the magic of Accord is really in the data model, right? That became really clear to me. Um, I noticed that you guys recently launched uh, Adept and I'd be really interested to know what you guys are doing with that uh, to help companies uh, exchange data using your standard. I want to learn more. Sure. So one of the things that struck me having run fairly large um, services and software and technology companies that serve the industry in addition to being part of large primary carriers and uh, brokers was the fact that many of the challenges the insurance industry faced, you know, the invisible hand of capital markets, Adam Smith's invisible hand helped to create a number of solutions for our industry. There's, there's, we have great vendors out there that serve this industry and we've got nearly 100%, well, you have 100% penetration of every vendor, every major vendor serving this industry. So they're, they're wonderful. But there were some areas within the ecosystem where the vendor ecosystem was having some challenges leveraging, using, deploying um, uh, the Accord standards. So in coming to Accord, we started Accord Solution Group with the intent of lowering the cost, risk, and time of using our standards and deploying them. The intent was to be a vendor's vendor yep. because it can be expensive for a vendor to be current with an individual form or a data standard or a transaction type or a process or a product innovation and change. It can be expensive. So we developed a number of technologies to serve 
the vendors who serve our industry, right? right? To complement and extend their value proposition. So again, as we started earlier in the call, that they could actually increase their value add. And the ADEPT solution, and there's a number of solutions, and for those interested in it, please go to accordsolutions.com. You can see the solutions there. But the one I'm most excited about, I'm glad you picked up on ADEPT. Um, there's a handful of other solutions that we built. But I'm embarrassed to tell you, I throughout my career, I've probably served every major primary carrier around the world. I mean, okay. the, the organization. So I've, I've seen them and certainly been a part that, that's of, not of the largest... No, no, no. But I, you know, but I, but I didn't mean to do it. You know, you, uh, my role at IBM, at the thirty percent market share, you, you wind up visiting great number of these carriers over your time there. But and Accenture as well, and McKinsey, uh, where I was. So you serve a lot of, a lot of these carriers. They are very good at using technology within their four walls. Right, they're, they're world class at it. They get it. Um, brokers, um, brokers do a very good job. Right at using technology. Yes, there's a continuum. There are some that maybe laggards, but they, the technology is there. But and the standards are there to help with the application, with the endorsements, with the billing, with all of the accounting. Accord has all of those standards. Right. What was interesting, and there are vendors that serve those nodes, but where there was some lacking was if a vendor serving the broker needed to interact with a vendor serving a primary carrier and needed to act interact with a reinsurance carrier that interaction between those vendors to help to identify issues resolve the issues despite the fact that they were built on accord standards they didn't talk to each other in a consistent way yes for an application for a policy of course right the apply quote bind but i'm talking about pre and post bind challenges let me yep. give you an example well, within the industry for some large accounts, you don't really know what that binder is going to be. You don't really know for the non-technical, you don't know what the bill is gonna ultimately be for a policy until you get there, yep. right? So just trying to understand why the carrier thought that the premium level was X and the broker agent thought it was Y, resolving that could take months. Why? It's less about the technology, more about the process. So right. did they use email? Did they only find out when a customer received a notice from a, or an insured received a notice from a primary carrier saying, we're not renewing you for non-payment or, hey, you paid too much. And then the email, phone calls, face-to-face -face visits. Right. I mean, if you've seen one broker, you've seen one. Or yep. agent. They were all unique, right? So one of the things that we, in looking at this, and we do everything at the behest of our members saying, help to solve this, yep. right? So this isn't us, right? We serve the members and we were very lucky to have some outspoken members saying, you gotta solve this problem, right? This is a customer service issue. It's a cost issue, right? It's um, an effectiveness issue around these binders. So adapt. Simply, and I don't want to trivialize the IT team who built this on our part because it was complex and it's a significant piece of technology. But what it essentially does is it says, if you're a stakeholder, you have a node, it's your data. I don't have it. It's your node. Leave it. So a core doesn't have it. Your counterparty has a node with data. Adept as a platform takes the Accord standard information, mm -hmm. compares it real time 
identifies where the discrepancy is and will do a number of things automatically. It will kick off emails if that's how you want to solve it. It'll mm -hmm. go to robotic process automation if you want to do that. It'll actually make an adjustment to a ledger if you wanted to do that, or you can do it and we can have it. So what would have taken months is literally solved near real time before an issue has been even identified as being out of sync for a binder or uh, an endorsement processing. It's proactively solving that, so right? It's so conflict resolution. It, so it's yeah, uh, and uh, and that's just one example, yep. right? Other and we're now at a number of very large brokers and carriers using the technology for billing, certificate management, endorsement processing, but. Heretofore, there was no vendor saying, how does this talk to that? And then more importantly, we're owned by the industry. Right. So I don't have the data. I don't have access to the data. You can have it. We, we set up the infrastructure for you to host your own. We, you, you have the, for the non-technical folk, they have a key. We don't have the key. It's yours. Right. What we do have is the algorithm and the data standards that help to do that comparison and then immediately say, there's an issue. Here's where we think the issue is. But again, talk. And the operational effectiveness, but most importantly, the customer satisfaction. And back to your earlier point, focus on solving client issues, yeah. not doing this, right? That's preventing I mean, client issues, right? Because yeah, like this before is they manifest themselves, right? I mean, curing a problem before you know it's a problem is the best physician you can yeah. imagine, right? Yeah. Not one that brings you back from near death, right? <laughs> never having the issue and resolving it. So that's what ADEPT does. I, went, I droned on about it, but I'm very passionate, excited about it. And I can honestly tell you, Jason, I never knew what all of those professionals were doing right. at carriers and at brokers. Only now can I say that's what they were doing. They were helping to look at those issues and resolve them. And so, you know, there's you can have new technology and old process, right? right? You can have new technology, new strategy and old process. You can have new strategy, new process, new technology. What we're trying to do is saying, look, back to having some foot into the past. We understand you've got the process you, you have, right? right? I got it. But can we make it near instantaneous? <laughs> right. right? Maybe uh -huh. I can't resolve the issue of a binder not matching the bill exactly. Yeah. But I can tell you that it doesn't match on a real time at the moment of value. And the moment of value is as soon as those things are posted, they don't match right then. doesn't this, get any better over time. This sounds a little bit like a, is this a distributed, you, you, you said the word node and key, which makes me sound, is this a distributed ledger blockchain technology or is or so, inspired by? By the way, I've been working with insurance and technology for 30 years. Yep. I've seen everything from thin clients to client server to large mainframes and cloud computing. I've seen it all, right? It is based on a distributed ledger. Yeah. However, to be very candid with you, it would work on a relational database as well. Right. I like to think this is the one of the very select number of use cases where the distributed ledger actually does make sense. And when you look to use cases around the world, for distributed ledger, there are two primary examples and Accord is involved in both of them. We're one of the few organizations. So yes, it is distributed cool. ledger. It is based on a node. I'm happy to leverage it, but I would never want any of our members or any of your listeners to think that 
you know, I have a hammer and I'm searching for a nail. It fit. Yeah. It fit what well, no, we it, needed. It, it's like for the, you know, I'm st still learning about blockchain and, and the technology and distributed ledger. But I mean, there are some, I think people have been searching for a long time for, for applications for it and insurance. And when you talked about this, it actually sounded right. And then when you started using the language, I was like, oh, I wonder. So great, right? I mean, it's great to find good technologies that, that can solve problems. So that's amazing. And I think what's interesting, probably relatively laggard in technology adoption. And when you think about, you know, when I came into the space, I saw carrier systems and I saw broker systems and they were different. And that's because, you know, it's only relatively recently that we've had cloud technology, right? And the ability to build things in the cloud. And so, you know, one of the reasons we've been as successful as we have is because we focus on the exchange of information across, you know, client to broker to carrier, not just broker operations, carrier operations, insured operations. So I get that there's a need for communication and speed in communication. And email has been a traditional method, but there's, you know, emails get lost and the data and email is unstructured and there's no real-time response as much as, you know, you're, you're hammering on people to, to get back to you. And so the need for communication between different parts of the value chain is so critical right now and, and a huge think, opportunity for insure techs in general. So I, you know, when I saw that announcement about Adapt, I was like, okay, something, there's something interesting here. I'm familiar with the solutions group. We, we talked to them early in our journey and I, I learned a lot from them candidly. Um, some of the stuff we ended up building on our own, but I, I know they're out there and we've been encouraged to reach out to them and, and, and may still soon. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of problems that we can solve that haven't been solved, but I'm not looking to solve the ones that, that you guys have already solved and, and we'll be excited and happy to work in that world when, when the time comes. So speaking of technology like ours, right? I think there's more, I think I saw a stat that said there's been, you know, the amount of insure techs that have come up in the last year or two, the number of companies in our space is, is growing exponentially. And I'm curious, having come from the agent world, seeing technology and standards now, uh, including, you know, solutions like ours for applications, how do you see the role of the agent evolving over the next three to five years? Like, what are they going to keep doing and what can they offload? Well, I think many of us have heard the old saw, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Sure. Right? So when I think about an independent agent, relationships, helping educate insureds, solving issues, being there in times of crisis, being a real thought partner and problem solver for family, those things go unchanged. Yep. How they get executed, how much of the day gets to be spent on that? Is it now a 24 by seven untethered uh, experience? Perhaps. So at the core of what we do as agents and as an industry, that will not change. Yeah. If anything, that will be further reinforced, right? It's my real hope and expectation that rather than saying the role of the agent will fundamental change, no, the role of the agent now can be increasingly focused on the core versus the context. Yeah. For me, the context is running an agency, physical plant, the network infrastructure, the physical devices, that's context. Core is understanding the product set, understanding the consumer needs, getting to the intersection, right, of needs, right, and solutions. 
and really educating and problem solving and helping to solve issues, right? I don't care how far AI, machine learning gets pushed, quantum computing and all the rest. In the end, countless studies at Accord indicate that customers who seek independent agents and buy through independent agents are the best customers for carriers. They have lower loss ratios, they have higher levels of retention, and they have higher levels of cross-sell. Customers who do not seek out independent agent relationships and seek out more direct channels tend to price shop, have a lower willingness to pay for value, low levels of cross-sell, and much higher severity and frequencies of claims. And this is true of studies we performed in Asia, in the Americas, and in Europe. And it's born again and again, right, over. Agents are critically important, and carriers know this. They see the results, right? So for our industry's sake, no one benefits when you're shopping solely based on price. We're not selling a commodity. Who cares about saving a dollar? You've got to be kidding me, right? What we're selling is security and risk management and putting your life back together after a catastrophe or the death of a loved one and 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 an earner for a household, right? Protecting the business you built. Incredibly important here. And the truth is, I think it's, it's well appreciated by key stakeholders in our industry. This isn't some race to the bottom, right? And agents are here to communicate that value and serve carriers, communities, as well as the insureds and, and others. I think what I think you're right. What an agent does isn't going to change. How they do it, you know, I hope it will change, right? And hopefully their lives, solutions will be better, technologies will be better. But to your point, the advisory work, the support around claims, helping somebody protect the business that they spend, you know, 40, 60, 80 hours a week on is is a critically important role in the choices that they now, make. It is shocking to me, Jason. So your point about small business owners or even middle market, even large commercial, really? You're worried about a commission level or a fee right. for your workers' comp, your BOP cover, your commercial auto, multi-paro, DNO, ENO? Come on. This yeah. is de minimis cost. Yeah. You're spending more on office supplies. You can't abdicate that, right? Why on earth would you do that? Right. Um, so it, it, it boggles me, which it's not surprising for me to say that insureds who use agents have higher lifetime value. Of course they do. Yeah. Right. It's almost it's a one question IQ test. Do you really want to do this direct or do you want to go through a professional in your community who can understand your needs? Right. And the, the solutions. I think it speaks volumes for the community of independent agencies, right? The 36,000 companies out there, the ones, you know, many of your clients, uh, many of our clients as well. I think what they do and the the value that they create, I think it's sad that they're not better known, right? I mean, people, people ask me, you know, people from outside of the industry, you know, say, Hey, who are some of your clients? And, you know, more often than not, they're not name brands, right? Most mid-market insurance agencies are not, but when you've got companies like, you know, Holmes Murphy and the broker tech ventures community and some of the agencies in that world, you know, locked-ins that we work with, it's it's pretty it's pretty extraordinary the value they create and 
you know, unless you're a CEO or a CFO or a general counsel in a company, you probably don't know or appreciate that, which is too bad. But it, within the community, uh, I could tell you there's some fantastic people and it's a lot different than the tech community, right? I've, I've been in the tech community and people in insurance are fantastic. So my wife always jokes with me that I left, I left media, which is where I was early, you know, at Shazam and the music space and got into insurance. And I like the people more here now than I did in, in that world, which is supposed to be the cool, fun place. But I miss the conferences. I'm excited to go back. And uh, those are kicking off again this fall. And uh, I miss the people. I'm going to start traveling again in September and see some of the clients that we've been Zooming with for the last 18 months. And I'm, I, I think it's a I think that the people and the culture in this space are great. We had Ed Page from Relation Insurance on our last podcast, and you know they're out buying up agencies left and right. All, all he could talk about was culture and people and community. And so it's a good space. There's good people doing good things. And I'm, I'm looking forward to being a part of it for a while. I think you got into it earlier than I did, but I'm excited to be here for, for some time to come. Bill, I, we often wrap up our podcast with a little bit of a tie back to our brand, which is the concept of enlightenment, right? The title of the podcast is The Enlightened Agent. And enlightenment is defined as the state of having knowledge or understanding. So I'm, I'm curious if you could share with people in the audience, you know, is there any special knowledge that you or your team has that sets you apart, but makes Bill or Accord enlightened? What can you share? That's a great question. I think... When you look to our industry, it has a rich history, hundreds if not thousands of years of risk transfer and risk management. So there's lots of accumulated legacy here, right? Which gives, I think, great strength, balance sheet of, of organizations, uh, expertise, uh, perspective, knowledge, rules of thumb, wisdom, and things like that. And then we've got at the other extreme, relative newcomers who may not be as experienced, but have really innovative and new ideas around how to change and transform the industry. And one of the things I, I think that I've really tried to work hard at, at Accord was to establish a culture where we can bring together real industry veterans who have an appreciation for the context of why we do things the way we do things, how it evolved over time, both from a technology standpoint, the data applications, infrastructure, and hardware, when I first started working on technology, we had vacuum tubes and magnetic memory, <laughs> and then we had punch cards. So I remember that. Right? Yeah. And then we're talking about distributed ledgers, right? Uh, early Next level ball, stuff. Right. And I think, how do you bring together that respect and appreciation for context and what it takes to change it, right? But how do you then take the new thinkers, right? The people who are relatively new to the industry. They don't have to be young. They could you know, just come from other parts of the ecosystem and trying to bring these new ideas, but being pragmatic and practical. How do you get large organizations who might have 20 or more policy admin systems who have the full continuum of technology? So you'll look from an anthropological standpoint. We have carriers still running assembler-based policy admin systems. Right. And then you've got some using cloud-based third-party policy admin vendors and some of them all within the same enterprise. Right. Right. Trying to run that. Right. And then you, you look to some of the agents who, by the way, right, beating heart of the industry, all paper. We still print paper forms. Some of the agents want. I think we mentioned it earlier yep. uh, before the call. I'm owned by my members. I can't say that I don't support anymore. 
We don't do, I need to keep everything we did over the last 50 years. Not all of it's there, but I still have EDI. I still have encapsulated SNA. You probably don't even know what I'm talking about uh, because that, there, yeah. was no, there was no TCP IP protocol. It still exists. We have some large stakeholders running a claim system off a of BlackBerry infrastructure, right? So it's out there. I have to keep that. But at the same token, how do I take new technologies, new perspectives, right? RESTful APIs, digital standards, very granular atomic level. How do I bridge that gap and bring them along? Because I'm owned by them. So I think one of the things that help us, where what makes us different is really being very thoughtful about who we bring into accord, making sure that we've got a culture, an obligation of dissent, where we have collaboration and cooperation, where people can push back on each other, right? And they're saying, you know, don't dismiss the past, but don't be mired in it so that you can't innovate and change. I think we mentioned earlier, Jason, you and I had an earlier conversation. We did a study of change efforts in the insurance industry, and two-thirds of them fail along at least one dimension, scope, time, and resource. So they, they didn't deliver the required scope, or and or they were more expensive, and or they were late, right? So understanding that we as an industry are probably not the leader in effective change management. How do we do things pragmatically? How do we take the new technology, the new data standards, the new ideas and concepts and respect the past, but don't be so mired in it that we can't help them along the way? So I think that makes us truly unique. And it's very hard, you know, because we're not, I've I've been fortunate to run uh, organizations with tens of thousands of people. This is much smaller than that. But so, you know, you really have to curate colleagues. You know, we recruit for skill and will and uh, collaboration and cooperation and those that think outside the box, but those at the same token who have an appreciation that that may sound good, but let me tell you what the reality looks like inside many of these uh, carriers or brokers and agents. So it's a long-winded answer, but I think it's being able to respect and appreciate the past and understand it, but help the industry and its stakeholders to be positioned for the future. And I think doing that through, through people and culture, right? That's what I mentioned, you know, Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And for those of you who are early in your career who dismiss culture as something soft and it's not really important. And, you know, there's hard and soft, the hard, you you throw money at the problem and you can throw technology at the problem. In the end, culture determines the strategic and tactical degrees of freedom you've got around process innovation, product innovation, new technology. Right. Because if the culture 100%. isn't right, yep. it will hold and squeeze and love that technology until it kills it. And it's <laughs> DOA. Right. So you always have to be respectful of While that. killing your business at the same time. So, yes, it can <laughs> happen. We've seen the white blood cells show up in organizations who are very happy. Right. When you walk in and then they begin to surround the technology because the culture isn't there. Funny, in our digital maturity study, one of the variables we look at is culture. And there are a number of ways to define culture. We tend to look look at data and values and individual and group. It turns out when you look at the four different types of cultures and our culture study, there is no right or wrong culture. There isn't. All of those cultures can work and make you effective. And by effective, I mean growth share and economics, high customer sat, high employee sat. But what happens is, is your strategic intent aligned with that culture? 
Yep. And then you have to ask yourself, do you develop a strategy that this organization can execute or do you adapt the organization's ability to execute for a winning strategy? Again, it depends on how you think you can change that culture. There's nothing more perilous, nothing more dangerous, nothing more difficult to change than culture. So it can't be overstated. Yeah. Right. Uh, culture, it's, a, it's everything, right? Early stage companies, especially, right? We're in this world where we're losing, you know, four battles a week and and winning the fifth, right? And because of that, we move forward every week, right? And to, but to be able to handle, you know, four out of five days of getting kicked in the teeth, you have to have a, a really strong team that loves working together. And, it's funny, and- Jason, when I started, it struck me, why are there so many sports players, coaches, right? I happened to go to school with a Heisman Trophy winner's son, and he was an insurance agent. I never thought about it until just now. Because I think in sports, you're not going to win all the time. You're not, right? Agents aren't going to win all the time, but they keep going. And that's a very special person who sets up a very special team, who then embraces that culture to persevere, because you're not going to get it all. And I think that maybe for insurtechs and for organizations starting the server industry, there's a lesson there, right? Yeah. If you have an expectation that you're going to win every one, you're just not, yeah. right? And agents, I think, are the best at really understanding that, right? Yeah. Team, and, sports, and it, team sports, yeah. especially baseball, where you know you get out seven times out of 10 and you're the star of the league. Rock so, star, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I think that fits. Uh, Bill, this has been amazing, enlightening, dare I say, uh, conversation. So I really appreciate you uh, sharing your thoughts with us, with the audience, with our listeners. Anything else you want to share before we wrap up the show here? No, just thank you for the podcast and thank you for hosting us. I don't think there's enough media channels like this for agents out there who are interested at the intersection of agents and technology. So thank you for the time. And this, this is a real investment on your part to do this. So I think just you probably aren't thanked enough, but thank you for taking the time for doing this. It's it's important. I appreciate it. I enjoy it. I can tell you there's there's nothing easier than just hopping on a call and just having a live conversation, recording it and putting it out in the world. People are excited to learn and hear what people have to say. And so thanks again for your time. We'll I'm looking forward to sharing this out with all of our listeners and hopefully seeing you at a big insurance conference sometime soon. Thank you. <laughs>